XL, Charlotte Sports Live. Right now on Charlotte Sports Live, the NFL offseason moving right along. And here in the QC, your Carolina Panthers get set to begin another round of OTAs later this week. Grice drifting back onto the hill at the fence. That's gone. No hitter over. And, we got it. and Charlotte baseball making noise today in NCAA regionals. They send Clemson home for the summer. But could they bring down Rocky Top 2? Welcome in to Charlotte Sports Live. Carla Gebhardt alongside Grace Grill. And apparently on Sundays we wear pink. Uh, on Sundays we yeah. wear pink. All right, tonight <laughs> the Panthers get ready for phase three of OTAs. And so far, it's been all positives for the black and blue. But we start with college baseball, more specifically, your Charlotte 49ers who had a chance today to keep their Super Regional dreams alive. That's right. They need to win two games today to have an opportunity again to play tomorrow. So did they do it? Let's take a look at the highlights. And let's start with their elimination game this afternoon against the host team and fourth-ranked team in the country, the Clemson Tigers. Losers would go home for the summer. And it looks that the Tigers would survive early. Caden Grice takes Cameron Hansen deep down the line and hits off the foul pole for a solo home run, and that puts Clemson up 1-0. Tigers had a no-hitter going into the seventh, but Will Butcher ends that one with one swing, a solo homer off Rob Hughes, and we're all tied up at two. A few moments later, though, go-ahead run for Charlotte on second. Jack Dragum grounds a base hit in the hole. Spencer Nolan going for broke. He slides in to score, but the tag is a tad late, and suddenly your 49ers have the lead for the first time. Got to close it out, though. Paxson Thompson, of course, knows that. Bottom of the ninth, Clinton has a man on. A well-hit ball to deep left has Charlotte holding its breath. Oh, but it's not long enough. 49ers win and keep their season alive, Grace. All right, so now let's head to tonight's game against Tennessee. Charlotte needing to win this one to force a winner-take-all tomorrow. If the Vols win tonight, they clinch the region. And just like against Clemson, Charlotte dug itself a hole early, bottom second. This is Christian Moore. He sends that 1-1 pitch way out there, crushes it to left center, and it's a no-doubter. Charlotte already down 1-0. And let's head to the fourth. Charlotte lefty. Andrew Spoiler hanging in there so far. It's 3-0. Zane Denton makes it 4-0. Deep to center and gone. His third homer in two games for Denton. So we go to the top of the sixth. Cam Fisher, he's had a hot bat as of late, and he was doing this one. A double down the line brings in Blake Jackson to make it a two-run game, but that's as close as the Niners would get. Tennessee takes the regional with a 9-2 win. Charlotte's season comes to an end, but man, did they make it fun. It was just really fun, I think, to, to watch the excitement surrounding Charlotte baseball. They yeah. were really good, and you kind of followed this team a lot. What, did, what were your takeaways, I think, for this team this season? One, one just, just their fight. I mean, we, we ran a story a little bit ago, and Cam Fisher, who is just – I mean, he led the nation in home runs, and right. he said it best. He was like – you know, you had the whole the chip in the chair thing, but yeah. he, he said, like, this team just – has that fight in them that they can compete with anybody. And they did it through the season. You'll hear Robert Woodard talk about it to their head coach, say, like, they stack their season 
to be able to compete at this level because they faced some of these teams. They faced Clemson. They, right. they beat South Carolina and Uptown, so they were they were prepared. Yeah, and I think in their first game, too, to see them kind of come back. I mean, they stayed in that game, you know, most of the game, but to come back and to win the way they did in that first game today, uh, it says a lot about this team. Yeah, absolutely. They've been, they've been really, really fun to watch. All right, let's All right. talk Panthers now. You ready to do this? Phase three of Panthers OTAs gets going this week, and so far the story has been the growth of number one overall pick Bryce Young, the rookie quarterback, continues to get more comfortable with his new NFL playbook, and his work is paying off on the practice field. Frank Reich said that while the team is only about halfway through the install process, Young is keeping pace. He described Young as fearless and said that's a key quality for any successful NFL QB. But the head coach also doesn't want to jump to conclusions too soon. He says there's a long way to go in the process. You know, listen, experience tells me that uh, I, I, you love to see good guys look good in OTAs, but you really got to wait till you get to training camp before you, you know, before you get too excited about anybody. So, and I think the players know that. We as coaches know that. That doesn't mean that we don't want to shine. That you know, as a player, you know, when we're running our plays, we want everything to work. But uh, you just temper your enthusiasm at this time of year, and uh, you know, and just understand we got a long way to go. He's just so likable. I just love listening to Frank Reich and just I think his his perspective on this team and the expectations that they're already setting in year one. Bryce Young certainly catching the eye of a lot of people. I was there at OTAs on Thursday and listened to guys, you know, like Hayden Hurst and, and Shaq Thompson. I think what Shaq Thompson said about Bryce Young, just that, hey, this guy is really knows what he's talking about. He's, you know, got to get a little bit more experience, of course, learn to be a pro in the NFL, but he says – this is also not his first time playing quarterback. It's not his first time yeah. playing against big guys. So he's going to figure it out. And, and to have a guy like Shaq Thompson, who has been on this team for quite some time, I mean, he, he knows what this is supposed to look like. But it is different. It is, Like, yeah. people will say, oh, well, he played for Alabama. He went up against these guys. It still is different. Yeah. It's and quicker, faster. Yeah. yeah. And, and just at that level, the crowd's different. Now you have a paycheck to you in a certain way where there's an expectation of a city behind. I, and it's similar, but it's not in the same ways but I also like that Frank Reich obviously he has big expectations but I like that he's tempering them yeah the same I think that's healthy yeah certainly <laughs> and to get let's get to training camp let's see what everybody looks like when we get down there and everybody's practicing as a team we're talking about how quick and fast-paced the NFL is though not as fast as NASCAR and so that's of course our transition to the cup series out in Illinois today Corey LaJoy in the number nine for Chase Elliott Carson Hosevar in the seven of LaJoy so lots of storylines and apparently good. yeah that's right <laughs> some uh, lightning as well this one took a minute to get started thanks to the weather finally though they get this one going. Kyle Busch, your pole sitter, goes on to win stage one. Here's a name we haven't brought up in a couple weeks, though. Ross Chastain gets into Michael McDowell. Thankfully, the 34 able to get back on the track after this. He just got Ross Chastain, and yes, we do use that as a verb around here. What about Coke 600 winner Ryan Blaney, though? Already doing well in the points so far this season. Collects 10 more right here, winning stage two. Stage three, though, full of cautions. A couple of brake router issues. Carson Hosebar and this one coming from Tyler Reddick. He goes into the wall and then to pit road for some repairs. A lot of pit strategy coming into play as this one winds down, though. 22 to go. We see the 10th caution. Austin Dillon runs into Ricky Stenhouse Jr., makes contact with each other and the wall. Ricky's day, unfortunately, going to be done after another strong showing for the 47 and his team. Finally, goes back to green with two to go, and it's your pole leader, Kyle Busch, the eight for RCR with a great restart. He holds off his former teammate in Denny Hamlin 
and takes the checkered flag. It's his third win of the season. And apparently, uh, Grace, there's free food involved. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, pretty awesome. Uh, man, to sit on the pool, eat a lot of laps, and um, have my guys do such a great job today was uh, pretty phenomenal for us. Great for RCR. Just win, baby. So uh, thanks to Team Chevy. Appreciate 3 Chi. Uh, don't forget, hey, guess what? The number eight special free chicken tenders at Cheddar's on Monday. Hey, so all the fans go out and celebrate with us. We're going to have a great time with this one. This one's pretty cool. We love free food. Yes, I love how our producer, <laughs> Joey, was like, uh, do we have Cheddar's in Charlotte? I'm like, are you thinking about getting some free food? He's like, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Rowdy now tied with William Byron for the most wins so far this season. Hamlin with his fourth top five finish, finishing second. Joey Logano, Kyle Larson, and Martin Truex Jr. rounded out the top five. Each of those guys already have one or more wins this season. Up next, NASCAR heads to Sonoma, which you can watch right here on Fox Charlotte next Sunday. We get free wine, whoever wins that one. Oh, that that would be <laughs> something I would be into, yes. We showed you how the 49ers day turned out, but we had nine, yes, nine other teams from the Carolinas in action today on the Diamond. We're going to highlight the ones who kept their College World Series hopes alive. And we're still not over what happened here in Charlotte last weekend between Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin. NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt Jr. weighs in on the scuffle between his two friends. You're watching Charlotte Sports Live. We'll be right back. Oh, I love that. We've seen this before, though, right? Longtime Charlotte Knight, Jake Berger, is crushing it in the bigs, quite literally. A walk-off grand slam today for Berger to help the White Sox sweep the Tigers. His former team finished in similar fashion down here at Truist Field. We'll have those highlights coming up for you later in the show. But we've got big-time baseball going on right now in the college ranks. Day three of NCAA Regional, 16 spots up for grabs. Grace, I just got to know, we got so many college baseball highlights to get through right now. Are you ready to go? I mean, this, this is, is a this whole is block of baseball. Of this, this is, is – yes. <laughs> You should be, like, beyond excited right now. All right, well, we showed you how Charlotte fared earlier today. Nine other Carolina teams playing ball, too. So let's start with the number one team in the country. So the birds were almost chirping by the time these boys got done playing baseball last night. Less than 24 hours later, here they are against George Mason. And Pierce Bennett says goodbye to that baseball. He's got the Deeks on the board. Two innings later, they have a six-run lead. And no, this is not the same highlight, but it is the same guy. Pierce Bennett with his second blast of the game. Wake Forest showing why they are the top team in the country. At the plate and on the mound, getting a great start from Josh Hartle, too, going four and two-thirds innings with nine strikeouts. Wake saying what's up to Supers. He must be pretty good. They must be pretty good, right? I mean, you win by 14 <laughs> runs, that's a lot. All right, we're in Columbia this afternoon, NC State and Campbell in a rematch of game one. We are in the top of one, and the Campbells don't waste any time. Jared Belbin with a leadoff home run. He's from way down under, yeah, he's from Australia, but he sends the one way out there and gives the Camels an early one nothing lead. Still in the first, Drew Winters now. He's one that he likes, and yeah, he's just going to send it the exact same way, deep to right field, and that one is gone. Camels lead by eight after four. NC State wouldn't respond until the seventh inning, but by that time, you know, it's just too late to do anything. Camels in complete control from start to finish, and they go on to eliminate the Wolfpack 11-1. to 
And they would be back at it a few hours later against hosting South Carolina Gamecocks. Picking up right where they left off, Logan Jordan, a two-run shot to left, and the Camels lead it in the bottom of the first. But after tying it up in the second inning, the Gamecocks explode for seven runs in the third, two of them brought to you by Will McGillis, who just obliterates that baseball to give South Carolina a 9-2 lead. But look who's back at the plate at the bottom half of the inning. Can you guess it, Grace? It's Logan, Logan Johnson. Johnson. There it is. Sends another one out of the park. His second home run of the game brings in three runs, but it's still a four-run game, so we got a little bit more to go. And good luck catching Carolina, though. Braylon Wimmer with another bomb, and things got out of hand from there. South Carolina sweeps it home to move on to the Super Regionals. All right, out in Conway now. Coastal walked off by Ryder the other night in extras. Now facing elimination today against the Brox. Boys telling me to relax. Chance already up two. And Peyton Eels takes it for a ride. Three-run shot to right made it 5-0 Coastal. All right, let's go to the top of the fourth. It's now 6-0. Caden Bodine with a bow dinger. Two more runs for the Chanteliers, and they lead it by eight. Pitching a shutout to getting good work from Jack Billings today, going seven and third innings. Seven and a third innings. With mean, this kind of defense behind him. So this one's hit well to right field. Watch the guy at the wall. That is Graham Brown. And he's got it. We saw Aaron Judge make a play like this the other night. How about it? Chance, take Ryder for a ride. 13 to 5, and they play on. So they face Duke in the nightcap. And we're going to start with the guy we just saw, Graham Brown. Just caught one out there. He's going to send one right back. But this time, with the bases loaded, and it's not coming back. Are you kidding? That is a first inning Grand Slam, Carla. Call it a Grand Slam. Hooked oh, up I like for that. nothing. Yeah. See what I did there? I did. All right, next inning, Alex Stone rips one to left. And that will get Duke on the board. But they still trail at 5-1. So it looks like the Blue Devils have a lot of work, right? But right. we're still in the second. Duke has him loaded up for Damon Lux, and he's going to clear him. Lex, Lux to left for the Grand Slam answer, and that gives Duke a 5-4 lead. But Coastal would regain the lead. Still close in Conway, though. Derek Bender seals the deal here with a bomb out to left. Coastal wins it 8-6 and forces a Game 7 tomorrow night. Pretty good game right there, but out in Indiana, the Tar Heels on their heels today facing elimination against Iowa. Scoreless in the bottom of the second. That's Casey Clark. Gets a good piece of that one deep to center field and gone. It's a 2-0 lead for North Carolina. Bottom of the eighth now. Carolina now trailing by three, but Dylan King rips that one to right, and it'll sit for one run to score. Heels waving another, so two runs going to come around to make it a one-run game. North Carolina would tie this game up at the bottom of the ninth to send it into extras. And this one would need 13 innings. Iowa won in the top of the frame, and the Heels would not be able to respond. North Carolina's season unfortunately ends with a 6-5 loss to the Hawkeyes. All right, we got one more tonight. East Carolina, Virginia in the Charlottesville region final. Cavs, bats cracking early. That drops out in right, and Virginia is on the board first in the first. But ECU responds. It's a tied game in the bottom of the fourth. Justin Wilcoxon up the middle for an RBI single, and the Pirates have the lead. But we go to the top of the seventh. These two teams have been playing small ball, but that is a blast. Virginia takes back the lead, and they do not look back. East Carolina season ending in Charlottesville.
Well, college baseball isn't the only baseball that we care about tonight. No, the Braves in action trying to get to two wins in a row. Those highlights are coming up. And speaking of the Braves, you don't get a legend like John Smoltz on your show every day, but we did last week. We've got an exclusive with the Hall of Famer on deck. Keep it here. You're watching Charlotte Sports Live. Atlanta closing out the series with the Diamondbacks this afternoon. Down 3-1 in the fourth. Ozzie Albies, good for him, right? Blast the Zach Gallon offering for a two-run homer. It's his 12th of the year, and that ties them back up. They get back in the hole a little later and still down one in the ninth, but bases are loaded, and Eddie Rosario unloads this one for a grand slam. Braves fans love this. It's his eighth homer of the year, and it's one that counts for more when it matters most, and thank goodness, right? Braves win 8-5. And Atlanta would love to have someone like John Smoltz on the mound for them right now. The Hall of Famer was actually at the Charlotte Touchdown Club this past week and shared a bit of wisdom with our own Will Kunkel. You come and you talk to these kids. What kind of message do you want to get across to them? Well, the biggest thing that I talk about in my career and journey is what I think is life applicable. And it's really about, if I had to narrow it down into a few things, dare to be great and don't be afraid to fail. Um, fear of failure suffocates so many people's aspirations and goals. And I know everyone wants to know what's the blueprint to get to XYZ, wherever that is. Well, part of it is you can't be afraid to fail. And getting outside your comfort zone is not a lot of fun for a lot of people. In athletics, that's what happens all the time. You get exposed, and if you're afraid to fail, then you kind of slide back into your comfort zone. Twice you've mentioned purpose and why your faith how much did that mean to you and finding your purpose your why and moving forward it was essential for me in 1995 i became a christian i was having a kind of a roller coaster career i was trying to please people i wanted to be the best version that i could be of myself and i wanted to honor my parents but when i realized that honoring god is the greatest thing that i can do and the attributes that he gave me it made it made all that backpack of junk just be released and i was more freed up as a person freed up as an athlete and I wanted to be a warrior. And I hope that I did that to the best of my ability. I'm not perfect, no one is, but it sure did free me up in 1995 to experience the rest of my career. So what year did you switch to closer? That would be 2001, I believe. At the end of 2001, right. I uh, kind of did it out of, uh, out of necessity after an injury. Right. And then it became the only thing they wanted me to do. And that was a life-changing experience for me that had I not had that kind of DNA that we just talked about. Right, so that's kind of I asked, like that ego. To be, was that an ego thing? Did you have to swallow it or how'd that was, play? I wanted to play for Bobby Cox. Yeah. That's the only reason I accepted to do it. Um, but that is not what I wanted to do. Uh, I want to win championships. So if it meant winning a championship, I would try it. And I did for three years. I learned a lot of life lessons in, the, in those short three years. We didn't win a world, we didn't win a world series. We didn't win a series. So I went back to what I loved. Um, but it was a lesson that I learned in life about being adjusted and, and going outside my comfort zone because there's no greater outside of comfort zone than that role change because I know people think, what's the difference? You're just pitching. It's a huge difference. It's a personality difference. It's a structure. Everything about it's different. What do you see in the Braves this year? Uh, I see that, unfortunately, they've had some injuries in a rotation. They've got to hang on until they get back. They're a complete starting rotation when healthy. Um, I think that they're they're excitable in their offense, but they also strike out a lot. Yeah. So they got to balance that a little bit. But a very good team, you know. This year is going to go down to the wire. I know a lot of people with the start thought that they would kind of run away and hide, but injuries, injuries, injuries affect everybody. And right now, if they don't get Max Fried and 
Kyle Wright back into the rotation. They got to kind of steady the ship. They've got some great contributions already out of out of kids that I'm sure you know maybe they didn't see happening. The Lakers were so stunned by the appearance of Willis Reed ahead of Game 7 of the 1970 NBA Finals, they stopped in the middle of their warm-ups to watch him shoot. That's to Reed on the forecourt, right side from 20, jumps, yes. Willis has hit on his first two. Some say it was then the game as well as the series was decided. Despite a severe thigh injury, the captain had answered the call, providing the Knicks a much-needed boost and fans with the seventh-best moment in NBA Finals history. That is our Mike Lissette, and he will continue bringing you our top NBA Finals moments all this week. Meanwhile, Game 2 of this season's Finals just wrapped up out in Denver. The Miami Heat against the Denver Nuggets. Denver clobbered them in Game 1 on Thursday, and tonight Miami strikes back. A big fourth quarter helps the Heat get a three-point win, 111-108. to The series now tied at 1. And the Stanley Cup Finals is in between games tonight. Game one was last night in Vegas. The Golden Knights pulling away late from the upstart Florida Panthers 5-2. Knights with three third-period goals. Game two is tomorrow at 8. What is CSL on Sunday? Without a little weekend review, it's a tell-all by linebacker Shaq Thompson, who has a lengthy report on his new coaching staff. And how soon could you pick up your phone to place a bet? And North Carolina Bill is making big moves to make it happen. The full update is just ahead when we come back here on CSL. Well, it's another Sunday edition of CSL, and that not only means we've got another half of hour, half hour ahead of us, but it means that it is time for our Week in Review. And if you are just joining us, I'm Grace Grill, and she's Carla Gephardt. <laughs> That's right, and we are still wearing pink this Sunday. Uh, did we plan this? Kind of. We, we're going to say we did, so it makes us look smart. Yes, I like that. All right, yes, we love reviewing the biggest headlines of the week. Per usual, we do start with our Carolina Panthers, and the Panthers did wrap up another week of OTAs this past week. They got one more to go coming up, but last week we were afforded a treat hearing from one of the most veteran guys on the team in Shaq Thompson. Thompson agreed, remember, to restructure his contract in order to stay with the Panthers this offseason, but we haven't gotten to hear from the linebacker since his new deal, but this week, he let us know not only how much it meant to keep his job here in Carolina, but how involved this new staff was in keeping him home. But this staff has been a blessing. You know what I mean? Over 200 years of experience, so it's like, why wouldn't you feel comfortable? You know what I mean? Everybody knows the game. They've been coaching for a long time. So there's no, there's no reason not to be confident, you know what I mean, and comfortable with these coaches. You know what I mean? All you got to do is just get to know them. Other than that, we all here for the same thing. We're trying to win them, win games, and all trying to get paid. Frank was with me, honestly, through that whole process, just talking to me, telling him, he's like, man, we really want you back. But, you know what I mean, he, he doesn't do the money thing, so whatever. But he was really calling me, texting me almost every day. Um, him and Pete and Coach Evero uh, reaching out to me, telling me how much uh, they would love to have me back and stuff like that. And um, I fit the defense, and, and that was a real big – also, that was another big part of the reason why I came back leader. Panthers are you know, great to have him back. All right. <laughs> Meanwhile, NBA draft workouts continue for college stars here in Carolina. The Hornets hosting a plethora of ballers over the weekend. Just check out the list. Here's the list from Saturday. You see a couple of Carolina connections with UNC's Leaky Black and Clemson's Hunter Tyson. And then a whole new slate from earlier today. Manny Bates out of Butler, Adam Sonogo from UConn, and Julian Straw there. Straw there? From yeah. Gonzaga. 
All right, so the Hornets have 18 more days until they go into one of the most important drafts of the season. They have the number two pick, which means they'll likely be choosing between Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller. But again, you saw all those names that we just listed, Dale. They'll have their work cut out for them to add to the team with their remaining pick. Yes, they certainly will. And whether you plan to bet on who the Hornets are taking with the second overall pick or not, it seems that uh, Bill legalizing mobile sports betting could end up on the governor's desk, I think, this week, Grace. So yeah, the legalization now, the legislation now moves back to the House for more tinkering. And as Capitol reporter Michael Hyland reports, Republicans in the General Assembly say they may not be done yet. With the latest casino opening in Danville, Virginia, right across the state line, North Carolina leaders have drafted a bill that could lead to more casinos in the Tar Heel state. We're a lot closer than we've ever been before. Um, there, there are still some fairly significant hurdles. The bill itself is not public, but we learned some new details Thursday. Republican House Speaker Tim Moore says it would include four entertainment districts where casinos would be allowed. These sites would also have shopping, dining, and hotels, and be located in some of the poorest parts of the state to try to help the local economy. This would be in addition to the three existing casinos on tribal land. So that horse is kind of out of the barn and it would be a way where the state could collect additional revenue. And so it looks like that may be taking shape. A recent study commissioned by the conservative group Greater Carolina looked at the impact of casinos in three counties, Anson, Rockingham, and Nash. Moore would not say what locations are in the bill, but said those three are part of the discussion. He also said the bill should include legalizing video lottery games statewide. When Virginia recently approved casinos, it was up to voters in those communities to decide if they wanted one. It's not clear yet how it would work in North Carolina, but Republican Senate leader Phil Berger says there should be local input. This is happening as the legislature is close to legalizing mobile sports betting, too. Democratic Senator Lisa Grafstein voted against that Thursday. I have um, concerns about the ability to pull people into behaviors that are that uh, are being driven by, like I said, technology that we don't really understand and have, have any kind of control over. So if you haven't heard, the drama between Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin was the talk of NASCAR this past week. And I actually got some insight on the incident and Elliott's suspension from the man himself, Del Earnhardt Jr. Plus, the Chicago Street Race is just a few weeks away, and the greats of NASCAR explain what will make this event so unique and challenging. That's all coming your way here on Charlotte Sports Live. We'll be right back. Well, it's certainly a bad week to be a NASCAR Cup Series driver named Chase. Chase Briscoe was issued one of the largest penalties in NASCAR history after his team was caught running a counterfeit underwing duck. He loses 120 points, 25 playoff points, his crew chief for six weeks, plus a $250,000 fine. So that hurts. And then, of course, we all know about Chase Elliott, who was suspended one race after NASCAR deemed that his SMT data showed he intentionally wrecked Denny Hamlin in last week's Coke 600, a penalty that Dell Jr. is well-versed in since he's friends with both parties. I spoke with him about that earlier this week up in Chicago. I don't think there was much, uh, I don't think there was much that anybody, <laughs> Chase or, or, or HMS, could do to, to avoid it. You know, it just, and I was, I was, I was curious. So, and I asked Ryan Blaney this on my podcast. So, there was no admission of guilt. All that NASCAR had was the data and the SMT. Can NASCAR look at SMT and go, yes, that was on purpose? And Blaney said, I don't think they can. The only way to know intent is by drivers on admission. But NASCAR also has drivers in its ranks. Some retired drivers work in the NASCAR industry and actually work up into, into, the, into, that, um, into the control tower. 
And so I bet that they leaned on those guys to say, hey, y'all are drivers. What do you see here? And that's how they made that decision. And you're friends with both. I know you've yeah. talked to Denny. Have you talked? Have you spoken to Chase? I think Chase is too upset to be, be, be accepting phone calls right now. But um, <laughs> yeah. I might talk to him after a while. But, yeah, I knew Denny was already trying to load up that SMT after oh, that yeah. crash. So I was texting him to see if he was. And he, I didn't expect to get a response. But he's like, yeah, I'm loading it in. But, you know, I try. it's a funny thing. Being a broadcaster, you try to be friends with everybody. And, and most of the guys understand that. You know, you got to. You got to have a relationship with all the drivers because you be, you need to go with go to them and 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 have co you know conversations about things and ask them for information about the racetracks like Chicago Street Course and so, uh, but it's an interesting balance because yeah, yeah I'm friends yeah. with Chase, Denny's on our podcast system. Uh, there's a lot of connections that that make things challenging at times. Yeah, it's a lot to balance. Dale, we appreciate Thank it. You. Such a political answer, yes. too, but we appreciate him, him answering that. We're going to break this down a little bit further, but what's what's great is that you actually spoke to Chase last week before, before the Coke this 600, happened, yes. and you asked him how yeah. he moves away from drama. So let's take a listen to that first, and then I'll get your thoughts on the other side. Okay. Because you guys kind of live by a code of conduct about respect on the track. When something happens, maybe an example like Ross, for you, when does that end? Does it end after the race, after a conversation, the next season? Kind of where, how do you handle that situation? Certainly, I think they can be circumstantial, but I think it depends on the two individuals and how willing you are to, to talk about things or understand each side. Um, and then beyond that, how you change your approach after that. You know, if a conversation is had, but nothing really changes, eh, you know, that, that might make you question things. But you know, I think if a conversation is had and there's an understanding met and then there's respect and, and a little give and take given, um, I think that can squash it really fast. So, you know, that's probably option A of how you would want to handle those things. Um, the best option is to just not be in the situations to begin right. with. Um, but certainly if you get in those spots, I think just trying to work it out and, and understand each vantage point is a, is a big deal. But then apply that to how you race going forward uh, to me is, is meaningful as well. Okay, so again, this was pre-incident, <laughs> yes, yes. and his, his answer there of like, oh, it's, it's a little bit of give and take. Well, Denny was coming at him with a whole bunch of stats to back it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he was going for blood in this one. What's going to be interesting, though, is and we kind of heard from Denny this weekend in Illinois when they were up at the track that he said that they've had a conversation, that he and Chase have had a conversation. That's what Chase said that he would do is kind of talk it out um, and he said, Denny said he's going to defer to Chase to let us know what was said. So I'm, I'm very interested, like the first time that Chase comes back and he talks about what happened, what was said. Uh, it will probably shed some light on, on what really happened on the racetrack. But, but that just makes it seem even more dramatic. Like, I'm going to let him tell you. Yeah, right? I just think, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I, I think it was intentional. I think when you start bringing in data and using that against NASCAR yeah. drivers, you're opening really just a whole different conversation of like, okay, do they need to look at every wreck? Do they need to look at data from every I mean, listen to these guys' scanners. Sometimes they'll mm -hmm. kind of tell on themselves within the race, and NASCAR doesn't usually use that as a means to, to punish a NASCAR driver. The reason they did this, though, again, was because they did it to Bubba Wallace, who did it to Kyle Larson last year in yeah. Las Vegas. Well, and Denny's mm. got, you know, stake in that that little yeah. dust-up as well. But yeah. the interesting to, thing to me, and you bring it up, the data, right? Because yeah. now do we go? do we have, like, instant replay now? Yeah. Or like post-race replay where we go through and we watch the whole race. and Yeah, what's intentional, what's not. That kind of takes yeah. the fun out of 
what they do on the what they do on the track, right? I mean, first first thought, I did think it was intentional, yeah. right? But it's hard because it's it's everything, and you're not in the car, and it's so fast that you yeah. You don't and he know, did but. hit the wall, so that was the biggest thing. A lot of people thought I think that Brad Keselowski maybe bumped him, but you yeah. did see his. He said he couldn't steer, and then you see his wheels turn left, yeah. and that's where maybe. I don't know. Somebody much smarter than me probably <laughs> realizes that uh, it was intentional. Anyway, meanwhile, we are about three weeks away from the inaugural Grant Park 220, which is in Chicago. It's the first ever street course. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and as WGN's Alyssa Donovan reports, there's a lot of challenges that come with pulling off a race like this. The start and finish line for NASCAR's inaugural street race event is going to be right here in front of Buckingham Fountain in Grant Park. The course expected to be challenging for drivers and action-packed for spectators. I've seen a lot of cool things happen in this sport, but, but this has to go right to the top. Over 4th of July weekend, drivers will race through the city streets of Chicago, down Lakeshore Drive, Michigan Avenue, and along Columbus. Former race car driver Dale Jarrett took us through the course today, which will be unlike any the drivers have ever faced. Every time we've ever done anything new in NASCAR, there's a lot of unforeseen problems and challenges for the drivers that we just don't know about yet, and we won't know until the race begins. But um, you'll start to identify those while the race is happening, and so will the drivers, and that's really when it gets fun. We've never done this before, and you can look at the track, and you can walk the track, and you can think, okay, I know what's going to happen. You strap yourself in that car and you pull out and it's completely different than what you thought. The main challenges, changing pavement and sharp turns. Not only are the corners going to be tight um, in some of these areas, but we're going from asphalt where you have one type of grip uh, for your tires and your cars. All of a sudden you're on concrete like this surface is right here. Your, your car and a radial tire doesn't hook up to that quite as well. AJ Allmendinger will be competing in the main event and says on long stretches of the course, drivers will reach speeds around 150 miles per hour, but will have to break down to 30 or 40 to handle the turns. That's meaning when we're carrying a lot of speed in the corner, if we mess up by two inches, you're probably going to hit a wall. and. Probably take your car out of the race, you'll be, you'll be done for the day. Um, so as a driver, that makes it a lot of fun, but also makes it uh, a little unnerving. The 220-mile course, shorter than the typical NASCAR course, which the pros say is bound to lead to an aggressive race. Fans always like to see a little bumping and banging, and uh, I think we're going to see that here. For drivers, the challenging course is exciting, and with it being the first NASCAR race of its kind, coming out on top will mean that much more. To be part of the inaugural event is just special in its own right, let alone hopefully I'm the one that wins it. NASCAR staff says they have sold tickets for this event to people in 48 states and 13 countries. The event is expected to bring in $113 million in economic impact for the city of Chicago. Reporting in Grand Park, Alyssa Donovan, WGN News. All right, thank you, Alyssa. So baseball at all levels is heating up, and we mean that literally. Why a new study shows that a warming climate could lead to more home runs. That is on deck here on Charlotte Sports Live. Well, one of college baseball's best will call it a career once the 2024 season comes to an end. Coastal Carolina head coach Gary Gilmore confirmed this week that he will be retiring next summer. In 28 years with the shots, Gilmore has turned them into a mid-major power. He has over 1,000 wins at CCU. 
and led the program to its first national title in 2016. While Gilly has been battling pancreatic cancer since 2020, he says this was a family decision. It has been in the works for a good while. Um, it has nothing to do with my health. Uh, I'm, cancer, is, at least as of today, is completely stable. It's not a health decision. As long as I've got quality of life, I want to spend a, a good bit of it with uh, my wife and my grandkids. Gilly has also been to the Division II College World Series back in 1993 with USC Aiken. Yeah, definitely a legend. And listen, I don't think we've covered enough baseball tonight, so here's just another game for you just for kicks and uh, giggles. Yeah, the Knights hosting the sounds of truest field. This one high score, and that's Nate Mondu brings in a two runners on the liner to the left center. Charlotte up early on Nashville. Next inning, keep those runs coming, right? Steven Piscotti gets all of it, and that's going to be a solo shot. Knights up three to nothing after that one, but sounds come back to make things a little interesting. Bottom of the seventh now, Nashville up one. Adam Hazley with a great eye. He takes ball four with the bases loaded, bringing home a run there. And we're tied at seven. Nashville takes back the lead the next inning. So bottom of the ninth and Hazley once again at the plate. He calls game and points to the dugout. A three-run jack to walk it off. Knights win it 10-8 to eight in dramatic fashion. You love a walk-off. I do too. Baseball season is obviously in full swing here, but it's not just about hot dogs. And, you know, those aren't the only things heating up. Yeah, meteorologist and climate specialist Elisa Rafa has the new details on a study that links climate change with home runs. There are many reasons to cheer at a Charlotte Knights game. Food. What's your favorite food? Uh, nachos. The hot dogs. Delicious food. You want me to dance? And a dancing homer. Both are extra base hits. Sometimes, though, it's just pure love for America's pastime that hits it out of the park. 2 2 to the plate. Swung on. Hard out to left field. Does it have enough? Yes, it does. Two home runs in the game now for Remola. Just watching the game itself and watching all the players. Trying to get a ball. And science tells us that your chances to catch a ball in the stands are increasing. In the last decade, warming temperatures attributed to 58 more home runs per season at MLB parks. With each additional degree of warming going into the future, that could add another 95 home runs per season. How could that be, you ask? Well, that warmer air just lets that ball fly. Scientists at Dartmouth College found that since the 1960s, home runs are increasing and it can be directly related to increases in ballpark temperature and decreases in air density. Colder air is more dense. It has more weight and more molecules to move aside, slowing down the ball. Warmer, more humid air is less dense, creating less drag on the ball to fly out of the park. Cameron Seitzer is the hitting coach for the Charlotte Knights. Look at video, talk about mental approach. For him, batting practice includes both mental stamina and physical stance, regardless of fair or foul weather. It starts from the ground up. If you don't have a strong base, whether it be 50-50, 60-40, like 50-50 on your feet, 60-40 on your back, and 40 on your front, um, if those aren't strong, then it's, it's more out of sync when it comes to delivering the barrel. But when I told him the heat might be on in the batter's box. They might try to hit more home runs, that's for sure. <laughs> he said offensive strategy wouldn't change for his team. 
If we keep hitting greenhouse gases out of the park, scientists predict 192 more home runs per year by 2050 and nearly 500 more by the year 2100. The park with the biggest W in the batter's box, thanks to scorching temperatures, was Wrigley Field. Researchers found that night games in dome stadiums could cool off the stats. But whether or not... That's what gets me excited about coming to the ballpark every day is hopefully get somebody to click like that. It's just about... And now another one sent out, this time to left center field. Perez back to the wall, that one's gone. Making contact. baseball theme of this show. Another great is giving up the uniform for the suit. Albert Pujols made his broadcasting debut today with NBC Sports and he looked just as serious and focused in the booth as he did in the box. Definitely worth the QC crown. We've got a couple of those to hand out when we come back. Right back here on Charlotte Sports Live, we got some crowns to hand out. Mine's going to Trey Richardson, the second baseman for TCU. That would be a grand slam in the first inning today. He hit another grand slam in the second inning, and then he hit his third home run of the game in the sixth inning oh as gosh. TCU beats Arkansas 22-5. You think he's good? Wow. He was today. All right, mine goes to LaMelo Ball. Apparently he's a fan of AC Milan, posted pictures taking in the scenes out there, and uh, I think this just needs to make Charlotte FC realize that he's a soccer fan. we got to bring him in. All right, good night, everybody.